there. This is another episode of The B-Side. It's a spinoff podcast of the Film Stage Show for the Film Stage website. My name is Dan Mecca. I have my trusty podcast producer, Connor O'Donnell, with me. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. And we have a return guest. His name's Corey Everett, the creator of Cinephile, a card game. Back, We had him on for the Winona Ryder episode, and we have him back for Winona Ryder's spiritual equal, we all know it, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, of course. How you doing? Great to be back. Great to have you back. Um, I'm going to just jump to the the bones of it before we get into the biography. The three movies we're B-siding today are the three movies he made immediately after the monster hit that everybody loves called Batman and Robin that nobody ever made fun of him for making that went totally great. The Iceman cometh. I'm afraid that my condition has left me cold to your pleas of mercy. In this universe, there's only one absolute. Everything freezes. You are not sending me to the cooler. What killed the dinosaurs? The Ice Age! And um, those three movies are End of Days in 1999, The Sixth Day in 2000, and Collateral Damage in early 2002, though it was supposed to be released in 2001. We will, of course, talk about that. That's Arnold Schwarzenegger reeling from some disappointment in the late 90s and early aughts, before he's governor, after he's the biggest action star in the world. So let's talk about him, a little bit of setup. He's from Austria, born in 1947, uh, raised Catholic to what he said was very strict parents. His father was a Nazi, which I will say I didn't know. Yeah, I so I only now like Nazi, you know, he was a Nazi soldier like he was in World War Two. Yeah, he he joined the Nazi party. Yeah. Uh, I only loosely remember it sort of being bandied about when he was running for governor. Right, which like I suppose— Catching it on the news as a piece of controversy or whatever. Yeah, I suppose that would come up when yeah, he would right. run for governor. And uh, so I only loosely remember that, but I like completely forgot about it. And then in preparation for this episode, I was like—same thing. I was like, oh, that's a— Which makes sense. I mean, he's from Austria, obviously. You know, he was born. You know, it, it all adds up is the point, but it's still crazy to think about— so another thing that also kind of surprised me was he was around and in the States for like over a decade before he became Conan, right? Before he had his breakout role. He, yeah. So he had a couple of like appearances in different things. Um, Obviously a bodybuilder. became yes. Was yeah, Mr. Yeah. Universe at the age of 20. Yeah. Started lifting weights at 15 and then was in like, you know, so point well, he, being, he was in the Long Goodbye, right? He, well, yeah, he's yeah. in Hercules in New York, where right. they famously Redubbed dubbed him. over him because he couldn't really speak English. He's in the Long Goodbye, basically as a henchman, right? Yeah, in he's like seventy three. Like he's in a movie that I actually like a lot called Stay Hungry. Not a lot of people remember it, but it's an underrated seventies movie where I think he plays a bodybuilder. Jeff Bridges is in it. Uh, Sally Field as well. Then, of course, 77 is Pumping Iron, which is iconic, a a big moment. He really pushes forth, you know, the sport of bodybuilding. He is still the biggest, most famous bodybuilder ever. 
you know, an ambassador to that brand and that sport and whatnot. So that's 77. And it's kind of, have you guys seen that movie before? I bet, you know what, to be true, to be honest, I've never seen it start to finish. I've seen clips. I think like many people, I've yeah. never seen it start to finish. Same, uh, just clips, but they are hilarious. Well, and it's like, a, it's, a, it's offensive now, right? He talks about, right. Well, having well, the, sex with women in yeah, a way yeah, yeah. that's rather derogatory. Right. I'm, I haven't, well, I, the one I distinctly remember right. is the, is like, he talks about weightlifting as if he's coming. He's like, I'm coming. I'm coming all the time. No, and it's like, right. you're like, that's uh, right. Flawless impression. Uh, yeah. If you haven't seen it, definitely go to YouTube and check. Yeah, yeah. That would be the recommendation. Yeah, yeah. Of course. There are some funny moments. And then, um, really after that is 82, which is Conan the Barbarian, which is, and I guess I just always get this confused in my head. If you ask me, what was the movie? What was the like, you're like Arnold Schwarzenegger? What was the movie where it, it just just rocketed him into stardom? I would say the Terminator. You know what I mean? Yeah. I agree. And then when you look at it, you're like, oh no, eighty two, summer eighty two, Conan the Barbarian. It was a hit. It was kind of a surprise hit, and he was the star. And I that those movies for me are are not deep in my memory. They're not deep in my like nostalgia bank. Um, Corey, I'll throw it over to you because you were saying before we started recording that Arnie ma- meant a lot to you growing up. So I guess tell us about that. Yeah. So as an 80s kid uh, born in 81, um, I grew up in the time when Arnold Schwarzenegger was basically just like the greatest movie star in the world. In in that time, in the 80s, basically, you know, it's hard to imagine now, but it was sort of a time before um, you had things like a superhero movie or a kid's movie coming out every couple weeks. And so kind of in lieu of there being entire universes of kid-friendly, family-friendly stuff that you could see, you kind of had to, uh, you know, latch on to movie stars, you know, instead of franchises. So, like, at that time, there was really only uh, – four Superman movies and a Supergirl movie. And at the very end of the eighties, Batman happened, which was just the biggest deal. But, but for that decade, it was all about the movie star. And so, you know, guys like Stallone and Schwarzenegger, like these guys were a brand. So as a kid, you would just see anything with Arnold Schwarzenegger in it because he was in it. And you kind of knew what you were getting uh, to a certain degree. So, um, um, so these movies were a big deal. I mean, it, particularly uh, Terminator 2, which is a little later, but then kind of uh, you go back and watch any, anything he had done throughout the 80s. And right. um, Did you love the Conan movie? Do you love the Conan movies or the first one? I know the second one gets a lot of flack. I mean, do you remember loving Conan the Barbarian? I mean, you would have, you would have had to have seen it, obviously, later in the decade. But right. I just – that's a franchise I'm always – curious about right they tried to reboot it with jason momoa a few years ago the marcus uh, nespel movie right. which obviously didn't do anything but that's a franchise i don't have any i have no concept like i only note in the terms of milius john milius and kind of his proclivities and the way he would kind of make movies but um i just wonder where those conan fans are i guess is kind of you know not to go off on a tangent but yeah, it's one – I mean, I probably haven't seen since I was a kid, but it was definitely one of the movies that I watched. And I think it's just interesting as that was kind of the first time they figured out, like, what to do with this gigantic, you know, yeah. muscle-bound. Yeah. Like, he was, you know, to set the cut, like, the rock of his day. He was a very, very unlikely movie star and, and just physical, you know, abnormality, and they kind of 
found a role that made sense, which is just this insane, yeah, you that's know, true, muscle bound yeah. barbarian, and thought like, oh, this can work right. with the right setup and with the right circumstance. Like you can make this guy into a movie star. And yeah, I, I, and I think to that point, I think a lot of what his, um, what his career was sort of predicated on was people sculpting the movie around him right like like if you were putting arnie in your movie and you knew that would get it made uh it was a matter of okay how do we figure out how to because he you know he's never going to disappear into a role right so it's like you you have to then find a way to kind of like wrap everything around him and then he is your movie right yeah i mean it was still the age of star vehicles where you know a beverly hills cop script could be written for sylvester stallone but then he'd pass and it would go to eddie murphy and just become a completely different type of movie you know so and then and then sly would make the movie anyway and call <laughs> it cobra, cobra. Yeah. yeah which is which is crazy and yeah i mean and then to your point um to both of your points when you look at his 80s it is a lot of that. It, it's really kind of crafting roles around his talents, right? So you have the Terminator, of course, which it's funny. The Terminator made about the same amount of money as the first Conan movie. They both made just under $40 million, which is a lot for the early 80s. But still, I once again, I think of the Terminator as the big, big hit. And I but, suppose it endures, which is why I think about it like that. Yeah, I mean, the thing you kind of forget about The Terminator was it was basically like a step above like a Roger Corman B movie. Like it was kind of almost an exploitation movie. Sure. It was like a low budget, like almost indie-ish movie that ended up being this like unexpected box office hit. So it really wasn't until Terminator 2 that it was like a genuine like yeah. blockbuster positioned as such like terminator and it was, was like early a, early orion pictures too so it wasn't yeah. one of the main you know wasn't one of the main hollywood studios at the time you know which is kind of another just interesting nugget um i'm actually just looking at what orion made to see yeah like they would only been around yeah they would only been around for a few years right so they according to box office mojo their first movie at the box office was Brian De Palma's Dressed to Kill. So, you know, they were only around for a few years. Anyway, the back half of the 80s for Arnie is... So Terminator, Conan, Conan kind of cements him as a guy who could star in movies. Terminator right. kind of... Well, the second confirms. Conan only makes a only makes eight million less than the first Conan, but gets lambasted by everybody. That's Will Chamberlain's in Conan the Destroyer, right? It just feels... Yeah, I think it was, it was Richard Fleischer directed it. I think it just kind of goes off the rails, as I understand it. Once again, movies I'm not overly familiar with in my lexicon. But then The Terminator, things change. Red Sonja, I think it's basically a glorified cameo, as I understand it. Red Sonja, obviously, now in the news for other reasons. We'll move right on past that. Commando makes 35 and 85. And now is regarded in a way bigger way. Right. Commando now is just like I feel like everybody's seen it. You know, get to the chopper. Obviously. No, that's the that's Predator. Yeah, right. bro. I always think <laughs> it's Commando. What, so what are his lines in Commando? It's it's there's the a big one in Commando is yeah. uh, uh, like when I said I would kill you last. I lied. Remember, Sally, when I promised to kill you last? That's what made you. You did. I lied. And then Bill Dukes in that, who's great. Alyssa Milano. Alyssa Milano plays his daughter. It was the Taken of its day. 
Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was. Basically. Yeah. There you go. And yeah. it's funny. He's a commando. But to your point, and I understand the confusion, because Predator, you know, you get, well, you have Raw Deal, and then you have Predator, and Predator literally feels like if someone was like, what if Commando, but Alien, mm-hmm. and like just straight up. Right, like what like, if like, what if the Commando had to fight an alien? Yeah. And then in between those two movies that came out two years apart is Raw Deal, which was not a success. And then right after Predator, which the Predator or the Predator Predator was his biggest hit by twenty million until eighty eight when he made a little movie called Twins, which is his first foray into like full comedy. Though Red Heat, have you seen Red Heat with him and John Belushi? Yeah, There's, but not it's it's basically an action comedy. There's like a lot of beats that are comedy beats. It's like Chicago cop, Russian cop in chicago forced to team up together red heat it was a hit made 35 million for 88 you know did okay running man in 87 my wife kelly loves running man shout out to her kind of an interesting movie to look back at now yeah right yeah it's still pretty good still uh, pretty little, good little dated doesn't hold up as well i mean conceptually it ones, does but, right um but yeah it's 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 still a pretty good one and the thing that you're seeing over all these movies which i just watched obsessively on vhs as a kid is like developing that star persona which is the kind of thing where like he's gonna he's something's gonna happen to this more or less ordinary guy or cop or whatever he's gonna spend the entire movie hunting down the bad guys and when he kills them he's gonna say something clever and like that was just kind of baked into when you saw an arnold movie that's what you were gonna get and i feel like his accent adds a brevity to those lines that makes the lines work because i feel like if you think about other actors saying those lines, they rarely work as well, right? The only one I can think of that I feel like works perfectly, and it's just kind of you know an American accented action star, is the great line at the end of *Lethal Weapon 2*. Diplomatic immunity. just been revoked yeah and then the 90s total recall which i forgot looking at it now monster hit paul verhoeven 119 million domestic yeah coming off and Robo-Cop. another 140 uh international so 260 worldwide paul verhoeven my god i mean basically if you're looking at the first half of the 90s like he schwarzenegger basically runs the table yeah on the first half. other I mean, than if, yeah, other than junior and which was last, kind of the kind of the end of it. I mean, if you look well, at yeah, Eraser did well, but it was middling. Yeah, that was kind of uh, for me. I feel like his hot streak is really eighty four to ninety four. So you go right, from, True Lies being yeah, yeah the bookends yeah. are the first Terminator and True Lies, and then even though Junior comes out at the end of ninety four, like that was already kind of the beginning of his his uh, influence and power in Hollywood starting to wane, and that was also when you were kind of seeing well. Maybe the quips are a little more forced, and maybe he's going a little hammier, and maybe the directors he's working with aren't as good. And that was kind of really the thing that distinguished him. As you look at those movies that we just talked about during that run, and like the reason that some of them hold up um, is because he was working with Walter Hill, and he was working with James Cameron, and he was working with Paul Verhoeven, and he was working um, with John McTiernan and and John 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 Millis. And it's like, you know, the reason why a lot of other, you know, action stars kind of don't have the resumes that have endured like his had is because he worked with some of the best action directors of all time and sci-fi directors and conceptual directors and, and guys who knew how to take 
his, you know, limited range and and unwieldy accent and craft material that he was suited to and and would. Well, and also Ivan. Let's not forget Ivan Reitman, and obviously the the kind of irony there being that obviously Twins, which at that point, as I said in '88, was his biggest hit and his first full comedy. Um. Uh, Reitman also directs Junior, right? right? Which is kind of the period at the end of his the sentence of that hit period. Mm-hmm. And don't then, you, don't you think a part of it with with the action director auteur thing too? I mean, particularly with Cameron, right? Especially is I, I mean that relationship feels so special, partially because it feels that like Cameron was cutting his teeth at the same time that, that Schwarzenegger was, you know what I mean? Like they were like yeah. working through every next level together. Definitely T2. Like T2 feels in every way like, you know, this weird, I'm not weird, this impressive rather step up. You know, I, I like that. I love that movie. Um, I, I don't think I, I necessarily, I love Cameron in general. I love all of Cameron's movies. I don't think when I think of Cameron, I think of that movie as one of his best, which I I know a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. Regardless, it's an, an unbelievably impressive movie. So I think in for that moment, you know, 1991, in that time, and I was young, right? I mean, you were you were prime age, right? You would have been ten ish, yeah. right? It feels like a moment, right? It feels like a moment where the technology. Right. And the craft, and Cameron as a director, formally, and even, and even, because it's Schwarzenegger taking his comedy chops, right, which he gets from these other movies, from Reitman, from Red Heat to some degree, and he brings it into his action world, and it like congeals so perfectly, which I do think speaks a lot to the overall impressiveness of Terminator Two. Well, here's the here's the other interesting thing about Terminator Two is is kind of going back to what I was saying, which is in, in lieu of there being a Marvel Universe or DC or whatever every couple of weeks, it was that you know uh, kids would watch R-rated movies, you know, and you would see whatever Arnold or Stallone was in, you know, per, parents permitting or at a sleepover or however you could get to it, because that's what there was for you to watch, and and there's something about you know, the merchandising for the Terminator movies that kind of understood this and Arnold starring in movies like Kindergarten Cop and Last Action Hero, which were kind of built for, he knew he had a, you know, young fan base and kind of sculpted his persona as he went along to cater to them. So, like I said, as when, when I was a kid, the Avengers were Schwarzenegger, Stallone, you know, Van Damme, Seagal, uh, you know, maybe Russell on the outside a little bit. And it was like, those were my dudes and the, the thought of, right. you know, a, a Tango and Cash or something with Stallone and Kurt oh, Russell man. being we in the same movie. We got to just do a whole Tango and Cash episode. That movie is good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I totally agree. It was, I mean, it was – the thrill was like seeing Iron Man and Captain America share yeah. the screen. It no, was, that's it a was good... that huge to me at the time. Yeah, that's a great kind of comparison uh, of, of kind of the two uh, different ages. And then one thing that's funny, we didn't even really bring – I didn't even bring up Kindergarten Cop – 91 million domestic and it's one of i always bring up my mom on this podcast but one of my dad's favorite things to say is the line it's not a tumor it's not a tumor you know i have a headache it might be a tumor it's not a tumor it's not a tumor at all also ivan reitman he made three movies with ivan reitman within the space of basically what six years my god and yeah, I mean, and then yeah, Last Action Hero underperforms, but I think now we all look back 
and in a lot of respects regarded as kind of a meta eh, I, a yeah, great meta movie personally it's one of my favorite schwarzenegger movies right and the story of that movie is kind of wild you know uh zach penn i think with his roommate or something wrote that in college on spec and you know had a connection got it to the right people and they made it within like a short period of time, kind of the dream. You know, you're in college. You're like, what if Arnold Schwarzenegger right. made a movie where he thought, where he knew that he was Arnold Schwarzenegger, the action star, and then it was actually a really impressive movie. And I know, obviously, Shane Black did a rewrite, and McTiernan came back and directed it. And so there's a lot of talented people involved. But still, I always think about that as a funny. I mean, what a funny dream screenwriter story that is. And that's at that time too, in the mid '90s when. You know, screenwriting was never more in demand and hot, and you know, people were selling scripts for millions of dollars, and da 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 da. And obviously, that kind of went away. And then, yeah, Eraser. It's weird because the gross indicates the same type of status as a True Lies or a Kindergarten Cop or something, but it's very forgettable, right? I mean, it doesn't ultimately. I think it costs one hundred million dollars because at that point, I'm sure Arnold Schwarzenegger's rate was astronomical. You have Vanessa Williams in it. You have James Caan. You have James Coburn. Um, and it ends up making 242 worldwide, which I think is a bit of a disappointment. And that's what you're talking about. You're getting into three in a row that underperform. They're not flops, but they right. underperform. Eraser, Jingle All the Way, Batman and Robin. And he was paid so much for Batman and Robin, too. I remember that was another thing that was widely talked about. And that's the thing. And, well, I think when we get into the, the B-sides, right, I think that's still a thing that hangs over him when he dives into those movies is not like is like not can we make this movie with this budget and do it or whatever. But it's that like is Arnold worth the twenty five million dollars or whatever it is that we're going to pay him to do. Like, is he worth a quarter of our budget? Right. Like, yeah. And I think when Batman and Robin came and kind of came and went with a lot of ridicule, that was that was definitely a narrative because, you know, Clooney at that point wasn't Clooney now. So I don't I don't know what his rate was, you know. Schwarzenegger, oh, he, was, he was a TV guy. Yeah, so Schwarzenegger was, was the movie star. Well, yeah, and he Schwarzenegger like Nicholson to Batman and Robin. Like, yeah, he, exactly. He was, above the, exactly. he was above the title, like you know. So it was like he definitely, to your point, it, that was his movie, right? So anybody who was going to see it, they didn't give a shit. They, like anybody could have played because like Uma, like Uma like, Thurman, obviously had Pulp Fiction, and she's actually kind of really interesting in that movie as Poison Ivy. I actually think it's kind of a fun performance. It's fun. Um, you know, but she's not necessarily, you know, that's not really her lane. You know what I mean? Like, she's in it. She's a fun addition. But it's like Clooney. It's like, okay, we know these people, but the guy is Schwarzenegger, right? The, fr- the Mr. Oh, Freeze, the yeah, merch. Yeah. You know, like, the whole thing was, you know, like, you have young people. You have O'Donnell. You have Alicia Silverstone. But they're all up and coming, you know, yeah, and, and it's like him. And, like, 85% of his dialogue are puns like do you know what I mean like it's right. written it's sellable Very, written to be sold written yeah. to be sold film to be sold you know the whole I mean that whole movie and they talk about it. I mean there's a million this is not an uncovered thing you can look it up you can look interviews with um Joel Schumacher uh down the line Oscar winner Akiva Goldsman who wrote the script yeah and he won for uh, Beautiful Mind right yeah he did yeah. um but I but, like I mean in fairness I what I, the Akiva Goldsman thing what I like about Akiva Goldsman, he's written a lot of movies that you probably don't like. But what I like about him is he's also written movies that you probably do like. And I feel like you he mean re- like Winter's Tale. He <laughs> he directed that I too. Knew you were gonna say he that. he re- he represents a, what a wor- what a very successful working screenwriter is like. 
I always kind of think about that. It's important to, you know, you can call him a hack. You can use those types of words. But I think when you're in the system like that, you're doing, I, I bet he's doing more good work than you think he's doing. I really, come on. I really do. He took the check. I, I, I My, no, but my yes, Batman but, and Robin take uh, is essentially like Schumacher got carried away, but I feel like Akiva Goldsman kind of slid out from underneath the, the crushing weight of hatred for that movie and really like right. give that script to any director. It could not have come back a good movie. Well, but one, but, but yeah. here's the other thing to, to remember about Batman and Robin is just before, it's easy in hindsight to say, like, what a disaster. How could anybody do that? But up until that point, you had had two very good, very successful Tim Burton Batman movies. And the first Joel Schumacher Batman movie, Batman Forever, was which was success. a massive hit, yeah. a bigger hit than the second one, and was decent. You well, know, and so I was... people didn't know that by the fourth one, it would kind of go off the rails. Well, the so... fa- but the fascination to the Batman Returns point is what's so fascinating about those first four movies, and lest we forget, in the middle of all this, Mask of the Phantasm comes out, which is which a fantastic... Maybe the best Batman ever uh, theatrically, theatrically released. It's very, very good. That's Ant- Batman the Animated Series... Uh, that cast. It's Kevin Conroy doing the voice. Mark, I think Mark Hamill Ham- doing the yeah, Joker, Mark, right? Mark Hamill. And so um, what I love, though, about the four live-action movies that come out, you can open it. Open it loud. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Is is um, you have Burton. This is well covered in uh, a lot of uh, recent Blank Check episodes they're doing Tim Burton, so definitely listen to those episodes, too, because they really dig into Batman and Batman Returns. But I was thinking about this while listening, actually, to that pod, is um, the first Batman movie is a surprise hit on a lot of levels, right? It ma- it literally makes more money than I think studios thought could be made by a movie. Yeah. Okay. Then Batman Returns makes half of that, right? It's a disappointment in every level. It's still pro- there's still a profit, of course, but it's super weird, super dark, super Burton, and they and Burton has a third one in mind, and they're like, no thanks, dude. Like, sorry, it was a miss. We love you. Go with God, right? And so Batman Forever is Schumacher. He's like, you know, and but and look, produced, let's not produced by Burton. Yeah, and so he makes still... a cameo in the beginning. Burton, Burton, or at the or either the beginning or the end, he's a psychologist. Tim Burton makes yes. a cameo, he's a, he's and it's a, a symbolic like pass the... off. Yeah, because right? Burton, I think, wanted nothing more. Da da da. I think they even asked. Keaton has said they kind of approached him about doing the third one. They and did, he, yeah. He left he with Burton, yeah. Yep. Which you know, Keaton is a is an honorable guy. And so, but point being, Schumacher now is regarded as something of a joke. But I think it's important to remember in 1995, he was on the up. Like he had, you know, totally. So costume designer first, right? Makes a lot of movies in the 80s. Flatliners in the 90s. Lost Boys. Uh, I think Dying Young. Lost Boys. Um. And then gets Susan Sarandon an Oscar nomination for his movie The Client in 94 with Tommy Lee Jones and young Brad Brad Renfro. Um, So he's in it. Like people are watching Joel Schumacher movies and they like him. So he makes Batman Forever. It does amazingly well. Um, And so I guess my point is what I love about those four movies is in two separate occasions, the first one by the director is a smash and then they let the director just do what they want on the second one and it's uh it, it's a it's not a mistake necessarily because i think we all love batman returns but financially it's a slip 
and I just love that it happened twice. It just right. it just makes me laugh. Well, and, you got, and you got to remember too, uh, not to let anybody off the hook for Batman and Robin necessarily, but you do have to remember that like this was also a time where studios were essentially like injecting scenes into movies to make and sell toys, right? Like it was like they were like, we need a we need a silver suit. We need, uh, you know what I mean? Like, we need three different Batmans that we can sell. We need uh, little ice vehicles that we can, like, you know, like. So there are, like, literally portions of that movie that are just placed there. So to the, sell toys. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's. Well, I, and that's what I was saying. They talk about that openly. You know, yeah. like, literally the studio being like, hey, we need to add so-and-so right. because we need that, you and know, Schumacher's character in the McDonald's. Of, you know. Schumacher's kind of said that to take some of the blame away from himself but um you know at the end of the day he accepts responsibility because he's like well, look, i was i was the guy that said sure why not i, I want to be agreeable no and, um, and he's accepted responsibility too i mean he's admitted i mean yeah, yeah no you know, I, he, I he know. went over the top i mean you know this is a dude like i said comes from costume design and hey there's a lot of shit in batman forever and batman and robin that's really fun and interesting especially the costumes the production designs insane. yeah from like an aesthetic point of view yeah i mean you when you watch those movies Time capsule in an interesting way, especially, especially I think Batman Forever. I think Batman Forever is it's not basically terrible, really interesting, but it's definitely a blueprint for all of its faults for the fourth one. Like yeah. Batman and Robin is essentially a remake of Batman Forever, almost scene for scene, yeah. but then just turned up to eleven yeah. and and worse. But um, but basically that puts us uh, well, right. Know, so let's contextualize it, yeah. and this is I think why you when we talked about doing an Arnie uh, B side, you were like. This was, I, this was kind of why we wanted to do it. So I'm gonna uh, throw it over to you, Corey, because it's about the the idea of movie star, right? So, like we talked about, his rates too high. The movies aren't making enough anymore. Very common problem for movie stars. It's happened to probably every single movie star, right? Your rate gets too high, right? So what are you gonna do? And you get scared because you're comfortable, and so you know that's why you make a movie like Eraser. Which is not bad, but it's just like another one of those movies. So then what do you do? And I think this brings us to these three movies. So I guess kind of lead us into that. So what is he what is Arnold thinking after Batman and Robin, do you think? Oh, um that's a good question. I, I don't know. Like I'm not I'm not Eraser's easier to tell, but right. it's harder to figure out like what led to End of Days being a thing, other than just well, that whatever well, I, was in the air with Stigmata and you right, know, sure, which we talked and we talked movies. about Lost Souls, yeah, and Lost Souls. on Winona, yeah. So, so they're like a triptych, right? Because remember we talked about Lost Souls was supposed to come out closer to the other two, and they pushed and it because advocate, of the other two. There's like ninety seven's Devil's like, Advocate. It's this like cultural thing that's end like of the century, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, so end of days. There's uh, and I Peter Himes directed. Yes, uh, I did not know this. Um, and again, half of this came from like the IMDb trivia page. So take it with like a mild grain of salt. But uh, either after or during um, Batman and Robin, Arnold Schwarzenegger was having heart problems and had to have essentially a, a heart surgery. Right. So he's doing end of days. Uh, which, and again, who knows what this actually, like, means, right? But, like, End of Days, I guess, was written for uh, Tom Cruise. Um, 
and you know again according to like the internet it's like oh and also i feel like every big 90s no right exactly (laughs) exactly the internet basically is like oh he turned it down to do magnolia it's like no they just probably like i think tom cruise would be good in this tom cruise well and i think tom cruise was to to the point of what we're talking about i think tom cruise was offered devil's advocate right you know what i mean like i think he's just always in the running yeah yeah. Just to play devil's advocate. What if he wasn't? Well Whoa. done, sir. Well uh, done. That's the end of the podcast. That was a great. Thank great, you for listening. Good night. <laughs> hey, cool. um, no, but so he, uh, on end of days, Schwarzenegger, basically, and you can kind of tell because there's, it feels like they needed to retrofit it to be a Schwarzenegger movie, right? Like there are scenes in this movie that like just these sort of, these action set pieces because he's like a, the head of a, a security – or not the head, but he's like a guy, an ex-NYPD officer who basically now is working for like a high-end security firm um, that basically protects like rich people. And it's Y2K, just prior to Y2K, New York City. Um, and Yeah, and the movie came out late November. So it was right – late November 99. So it was right in that sweet spot yeah. of people buying a bunch of toilet paper and fucking getting worried. I remember. Do you guys remember oh, that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like I remember there being TV movies about it, and I, my parents were never overly worried, but I remember we had like a little kookier like neighborhood friends who were like deep in it, like deep in the buying the stuff, in being the like – just like just in case like just think you know which is so fun to think about now but anyway sorry so, go ahead. so, so schwarzenegger is uh, he plays jericho kane the greatest great name, name ever <laughs> put on paper and then sold to a studio and then filmed um and he essentially has lost his uh his wife and his child they were killed uh you know, as a result of his work as a New York City detective, yada, yada, yada. Uh, he's now, you know, down and out working with uh, Kevin Pollack uh, at this security firm. They are tasked with uh, protecting this Wall Street guy who coincidentally gets possessed by the devil. This person is played by Gabriel Byrne. In what I think is a fabulous performance. Yeah, he's the internet you can tell us uh what who you think your favorite movie devil is i think he's a pretty good movie devil who is your favorite movie devil connor i personally like vigo mortensen in the prophecy a lot Corey Everett, who's your favorite movie devil uh pacino in devil's advocate that's right i think my favorite i I, truthfully i think my favorite is gabriel burden in the days he is definitely he's the only person i think he's the only person having fun in this movie yeah him him or de niro in in angel heart oh that's a good one are the two yeah yeah i also like storm and constantine a lot i think storm and constantine is great he's playing literal lucifer right because that movie's way more like you know, it's yeah. like there's a Paradise Lost thing because it's uh, Tilda Swinton's playing Gabriel. That movie is uh, crazily underrated. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, that what are movie. Your thoughts on Constantine, real quick. Uh, it's fine. Oh, no, sure. dude. Whatever. Sure. Whatever. It's so good. Go okay. uh, Francis Lawrence, good director. Anyway, go on. Uh, but speaking of like workman directors who you know had these kind of properties, Hyams got this after uh, Guillermo del Toro and Sam Raimi turned it down. Um, and it's so it's interesting because you can look at a movie like this and you can totally see how like in a world where it's a Sam Raimi movie that maybe probably doesn't star Tom Cruise, but stars maybe a slightly younger star who's not Arnold Schwarzenegger. Bill Paxton. Uh, ooh, oh, interesting. Bill. Oh, R.I.P. R.I.P. Uh, 
I don't know. You can like any of these. Uh, you can see the nugget of a movie there. For well, sure. so my so yeah. So basically, the right the premise is he's the security person. He ends up the devil is in the body of this person, and then it becomes this race to the end of the century, where. Basi- Everything's going to go bad. Right. Basically, it, I mean, the whole plot is essentially Gabriel Byrne has to have sex with Robin Tunney yeah. before the end of the Because Robin Tunney's like the, the, the last scion of whatever the Lucifer bloodline yeah, is, like, right? It's something she's like, like a that. Show, she's like a – the movie opens with like kind of actually like a super disturbing scene where this child is born and it's 20 years prior to the events of the movie. And basically the – nurse takes her away from the mother she's like oh i'm just gonna go clean her up and she like takes her into like a sub 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 basement of the hospital where another doctor is there and they like perform this ritual okay so yeah you're right it's and not it's, it has nothing they they like force it upon her well no they see that she has like you're right she, oh, she has like a okay. birthmark she's like a cho- she's like marked by the devil whatever it's a whole thing uh, and then she grows up, and they this nurse is like her caretaker basically all right. throughout her life, and had they everybody's been priming her for this moment, uh, and it basically basically she Robin Tunney who had a moment she's yeah, in Vertical she's, Limit the next year she was Empire like a, Records the craft Tunney dude yep. yeah Tunney. that was that was the time of Tunney um, she basically is uh, you know she doesn't really know what's going on comes across uh, Rod Steiger. Oh yeah, uh, Rodney Steiger plays a plays a. Uh, I just pre- rewatched this. I literally yeah. days ago, St- and I'm you're telling me these things, and I'm like, Steiger's in it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, St- yeah, Steiger's in it. Mark Margolis is in it. He plays the Pope. Um, yeah, I remember that. I remember weird, that. Which is a little weird, um, especially when there's like the same year, if not. I mean, Requiem is a year after, I think. Right? Yeah, I mean, it's well, Mar- it's and it's Margolis is the famously disturbing. No, scene. and there's it's weird because the first scene you see Mark Margolis in in this, a priest comes up to him and says something to him, and then Mark Margolis looks at him and goes ass to ass. Yo, and true, like, that is weirdly weird. parallel weird to thing, Requiem. Pope, yeah. Pope, it was in his Pope contract. Yeah, yeah. Pope Margolis. <laughs> um, but basically. Uh, you know, the, uh, events transpire where Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of realizes uh, that a series of murders and strange things that are going on happen to coincide, uh, are coinciding with Gabriel Byrne trying to basically find his way to Robin Tunney. Uh, and the whole thing being that, you know, it it's a very specific thing. Like, he needs to, like, have sex with her and, and like, you know, give her a child in like the last hour of the millennium, basically. Or now yeah. we were talking about this, me and Connor were talking about this before the pod. And I, despite all the faults of this movie, which there are plenty, this is my favorite of the three that we're going to focus on today. Now you don't like it, right? This movie, it's just, it's very me. It's a very it's so morose, grim, it's grim, so grim, mean movie. It's like if you made Devil's Advocate, because like, look, there's just you know, there's disturbing, fucked up shit in Devil's Advocate, um, but at least you've got the Pacino perfect. Like that movie knows what it right. is, right? This movie, I don't think does, and it's interesting that it was offered to people like Del Toro and Raimi because you can see. If this movie even had a, a sense of like Sam Raimi's like winking fun, it would just be so much better. Or like a and sense it, of phantasmagoria, yeah, right? Yeah, like yeah. an idea of like, uh, you know, because that's the thing. Hyams, right? Peter Hyams is a very good, capable director, and he's made very good movies. 
But not unlike, honestly, not unlike the three directors we're going to talk about, right? Hyams, Roger Spottiswood, and Andrew Davis. They're also, at their core, journeymen. Journeymen who are working and, you know, doing good work, but also doing the work that's asked of them, you know, maybe only, right? As opposed to being a quote unquote artist and, you know, adding something more and what have you. So. To your point, yeah, if it's like Del Toro adding a gothic touch, this movie has a little bit more of playfulness potentially and goes a little bit further. Yeah, like yeah. when like Gabriel Burns the only one kind of even doing anything resembling like some spark of, you know, imagination, I think. And uh I don't know. It's just a bummer. Like I was just I was watching it in the entire time. I was just like, I need this to end. Like a, now Yeah. The- Sorry, go ahead. Uh, yeah, that, I mean, I haven't seen this. I saw it in the theater in 1999, right. probably in November. I just uh, started college, and that was – I haven't seen it since, so 20 years ago. But that was my memory of it was basically um, – 99 is kind of a big year for film in a lot of ways because – Right, 99, you know, famously now, kind of great film yeah, year. Yeah, it's been written about a bunch, but not only was there you know The Matrix, but there was you know uh, Magnolia and Eyes Wide Shut and being John Malkovich and Election and uh, American Beauty and Fight Club and just all these like mind-blowing movies kind of week after week after week. So that was my kind of went off to college and went to the movies every week or two and was just constantly getting my mind blown, you know. At the same time, trying to hold on to my sort of childhood love of Arnold Schwarzenegger, went, saw End of Days, <laughs> and just the light went out. And I was like, oh, this is not – Yeah, it's over. And that was kind of when I knew that it was over is because it was right. just kind of a dour bummer of a movie. And it was only a couple years since Eraser, which I had seen in the theater and enjoyed and had a big fun plane stunt in it. But it was just clear at that point on a personal level the moment had passed. Now on a cultural level – the moment had passed as well because earlier that year, as I mentioned, The Matrix came out. So 1999 spring was not expected to be a big deal. Came out in April, I believe, and was kind of unexpectedly like a culture-shifting, gigantic hit. Um, and as Terminator 2 did in 91, at the beginning of the decade, kind of brought digital effects to the next place, which is why you know, all three of these movies, uh, a lot – with the sixth day, um, which is a sci-fi movie we're going to talk about in a minute, but the contrast between what the matrix was doing and in, in taking, you know, movies and sci-fi movies, action movies to the next place versus how antiquated a movie like the sixth day feels that it's just completely from a different era and could have been made yeah. 15 years prior. Um, even when you watch it today, it, it, it looks like it's, you know, aged a lot more than some other movies from that time. Totally. And I think my my Schwarzenegger theory that I when I, we initially started talking about End of Days and I asked Corey what he thought is this, right? Basically, I think he makes Batman and Robin and he's silly in it. And he's knowingly silly and the movie is silly and it doesn't really work. And he becomes the biggest punchline in the joke that is Batman and Robin. And you... You would be an idiot to think that doesn't affect him in some way. Like we talked about, his rate's too high, he's a huge star, he's on the wane, and he's probably scared of that like anybody would be. And so what is his reaction, right? What is his and his team's reaction? This is conjecture, but it seems to make sense. He makes a really fucking stark, serious action picture that has this like cultural moment with it. 
And that's how it plays. I mean, it's overly serious, right? I enjoy it, I think, because I enjoy this type of subject matter because I, as we all know, I'm a Satanist. So it's important to me that this stuff gets covered. But in all all seriousness, this stuff, I do like it. Like, I really like The Devil's Advocate. And I like this type of biblical stuff. It always adds something to me. I think it adds, eh, as in someone wanting to be entertained, it adds something. So that's why, honestly, content alone, I I think that's why – this is the one I like the most of the three, though I don't think it's uh, particularly great. And I think he's particular. Arnold is particularly bad in this one, actually. But what's interesting? So he makes this, and it doesn't really work. It makes two hundred and twelve million dollars worldwide off a one hundred million dollar budget. Once again, it all costs too much. But not not a not a not embarrassing a, not flop. a flop. I mean, the guy doesn't really have a lot of embarrassing flops. He has a couple. We'll get to uh, this era. Yeah. Well. In the in the in the like after he's governor, he has a couple right, like right. embarrassing flops. But the sixth day is interesting because it's basically total recall yeah. with cloning. It's the same. It's the same structure. It's in a lot of ways. It's the same tone. It's goofy. It's semi self aware. He's playing a working man. They never describe his accent. He's got a wife he's making jokes it's like it's in that very similar world to the point where you know I'll, I'll be honest i really dislike the sixth day of the three this is my least favorite see i disagree no and but i know what? you do and i want to hear why you <clears throat> like the sixth day but my thing is it's it's it, it is in every way a retread and other than the fact that it was the first movie terry cruz american treasure terry cruz was in there's really not much to say he, about it. I'll he, let you go. When he popped up, though, actually, I did like I perked up. I was like, "Cruz, what's buddy? What are you doing?" Yeah, first movie, uh, yeah. first film credit. Um, yeah, no, this movie it it's interesting. I mean, you're not wrong, basically, in anything you just said in terms of like the retread thing and all that. I just personally think that that is something like I can see the movie inside the sixth day, right? Like I can see how it all involved were like. You know, including especially Schwarzenegger was like, let me just let me do Total Recall again. And I think, Corey, it speaks to your point of like Roger Spottiswood is not Verhoeven. Right. But I I was watching it through this lens of like, oh, my God, if this was like directed by a Verhoeven uh, or anybody with any sense of like autistic flourish or touch, um, I think it would have been, you know, maybe not amazing or anything, but certainly better. Like there are definitely like little things weirdly uh and again this movie isn't obviously necessarily worth remembering to a certain degree but a lot of people point to a movie like minority report as like oh yeah that movie got a lot of stuff right like there's a lot of stuff in that movie and there are like things in this movie that i'm like oh yeah that's they wow they like like you know they can like order food from their fridge and like and this was only remember it's only driving cars yeah and it's only a couple years after the dolly the sheep thing Right, yeah, where they clone the sheep, and there's so there like you can clone your dogs now, like that's the thing. Like they have repets in this movie, right? Like you can like Barbara Streisand owns cloned dogs, so like is that true? Yeah, she are you cloned being, her dogs. No, kind of? look it up. She cloned her dogs. Uh, it's Whoa. maybe the sixth day is a master. No, 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 that's kind of. I mean, it's not, <laughs> but it's. I don't know. There's a. I was definitely not. Super mega bored watching this movie. Like I was bored rewatching. See, End of no, days. it's it's I, fun. It's fun trash. Yeah, it's but it's uh, it's, see, it's I certainly I was it's certainly trash. But there's like a level. There's a moment at the end of this movie, right, where 
Tony Goldwyn. I mean, should we back up and just go through it? Like the no, I mean, we can be six. quick. So, Base... so what is the sixth day? Okay. So just yeah, real, real quick, whatever. All right, all right. Sixth day, uh, it's the, you know, the not too distant future, whatever. The XFL is a thing, right? That's that's. Well, sudden... and even they open with, it's, it's it, it, they something like in the. It's sooner in, than you yeah, think. It's sooner yeah, than yeah, you yeah, think. Yeah. Like in the future, it it's opens, sooner than you it think. It opens on an XFL game. Yeah, you guys remember the XFL? Yeah, Funny can... to record this because there's all these new football leagues coming out right now. You know, versions of the XFL. Even the XFL might come back in a couple of years. So watching it. Now in 2000, the movie came out in 2000. XFL is a is like a funnily big part of this movie. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. It's like a, it's basically it's sort of not the inciting incident, but it is used as the device to set the stage. There's this quarterback. His name is Johnny Phoenix because he comes back. He gets cloned. Uh, Get it? Like a, that's the other like thing. A Phoenix. Fucking, fucking Schwarzenegger's name is Adam. It's like okay, whatever. It's fine. Uh, but anyway, so the future, uh, Robert Duvall basically is a doctor who has, you know, perfected cloning, uh, but it's been uh, outlawed. outlawed. Cloning humans y- is illegal. Yeah. The, and his, they're called the six day laws. Correct. And so in in secret, uh, Tony because Goldwyn. Because God made man on the sixth day. Indeed. There's, the, guys get there's it? the biblical bit. Do you guys again. get it? Yeah. Uh, but basically, Tony Goldwyn runs this company that basically, you know, they've hired Robert Duvall, who's this genius doctor. It's called We Are Cloning People, Inc. Yeah, it's a bit on the nose. It's a bit (laughs) on the nose. Um, And essentially, it's I mean, it's very similar to Minority Report in terms of like there is this, you know, uh, group of people who are doing this thing. And it's just, you know, they're on the brink of essentially trying to, like, get it to be approved as like a national thing Schwarzenegger's cloned and he doesn't know it and but he and this is a good thing about the movie he realizes it early on there's, yeah. there's a clone there's an efficiency something to the movie fishy's that, going like, on it, it's it, it's like minute eight when he's like my problem is that it's still two hours and they have to spend a whole hell of a lot of time explaining this like overly convoluted plot about the illegality of the cloning and who's going tony goldwyn's the ultimate bad guy and right. then at the end so sorry to bring it back the re the, and it was the part of this movie that like i really was i remember it from watching it as a kid um and just it's sticking in my brain like half baked half cloned tony goldwyn uh, that image just where he's like basically looks like Gollum, right? Um, just sticking in my head, but I, I forgot how kind of really delightful that moment is, like in the movie and the performance by Tony Goldwyn of him just like he comes out, he doesn't know what he looks like yet, like he hasn't like seen himself. He finds basically Tony Goldwyn gets shot by Arnold Schwarzenegger, goes into the cloning machine because he. And the whole thing is when you clone yourself, the clone knows everything you do. So you are effectively sort of to some degree living forever, right? I mean, it's a flawed logic because it's like you still die. So it's a, d- a different thing that's living with your brain. But what uh, Roger Ebert actually like picked that apart in his review of the movie. He was like, the movie's fun, but like the, you know, the conceit of the cloning makes no sense. Um, that's actually a good point. Yeah. It's they, like the people who get cloned are still dying. It's not. So anyway, it's weird. Um, but basically, uh, Goldwyn is like, you know, dying and half cloned Goldwyn is essentially like he, he takes his clothes and he's like, yeah, cool. I don't care. Whatever. And his delivery is like so snarky and so great. And it's the kind of thing that in my mind 
you know, evoked something like RoboCop or Total Recall. Like it's funny and it lands and it's good. And it's the kind of thing that I, I, you just sit there and you're like, why isn't more of the movie like this? Like Michael Rooker's in this movie as a like heavy for Tony Goldwyn and he's funny. Like all of the things of them trying to go after clone, maybe not clone Arnold Schwarzenegger, I think kind of work. Like there's this really weird robot doll that Schwarzenegger gets for his daughter. And it's this, it's a practical effect. It's this like fucking creepy, you know, life-size doll and uh i hated that doll oh yeah it's awful. fucking it's cause, I but i like love how doll. off kilter it is and then like basically she gets shot while there's a chase scene happening and terry cruz is like stuck in the back of a car with her i'm simpal cindy let's be friends what's your name will you be my mommy i don't want to be your mommy shut up what <laughs> Somebody do something about that damn doll! I have a boo-boo. You can feel what they're trying to do even though it doesn't work versus like when I watch End of Days, I'm like, what are you even trying to do? Yeah, here? why right? are like, you in There's this a movie? clear, like even though Six Day doesn't land completely for me, like I, I totally see that movie like and I and even Schwarzenegger, like I get the idea of like, oh, what if I did a buddy movie with myself? Like, there's like a a clear calculation. Well, and to be clear, the best friend character in the first thirty minutes or so is, is Michael is one Michael yeah. Rappaport with an amazing haircut. Oh, yeah, God. he's that haircut's doing a whole lot. It comes from a certain for better place, or worse, mostly comes from worse. A certain place that is sooner than you think. Um, um, but yeah. Yeah, I get it. I get all the r- reasons you like it. Oh, I, go ahead. Sorry, there is a there is a scene where he escapes from Michael Rooker, and he like falls off a cliff. Yeah, and it's cut in a way, and I and I think action movies obviously did this then more than they do now, um, where they you know they reuse the take and they reuse the take and they try and extend it to make it seem cooler or whatever. But it just doesn't work. And it's the longest fall off a cliff ever. It's like, it feels like self parody. Like, it's like, it feels like they run the take four times, basically. Like, it's insane. Yeah. Um, I, I, I totally get why this made sense for Arnold and it had been a couple years and why it was sort of conceptually uh, seemed to make sense to go back to something like Total Recall. The unfortunate thing for him is just that basically um, it came out a year after The Matrix, which was the comet that killed the dinosaurs. I mean, Arnold, yeah, Arnold didn't good... know it at the time, but like yeah. he was making this kind of movie that, you know, in whatever hands could have come out in 91 or 92, you know, except for now it was 2000 and The Matrix had kind of come along and changed things and swept away the idea that you needed an Arnold Schwarzenegger type to lead your action movies. So not only do you kind of have like production design that looks like a Windows 98 like screensaver of just the interfaces and everything is just super the movie dated. Looks, it looks awful. Awful. Yeah, and it looks it, and awful. like I said, when you put it in the context of this was the year after The Matrix and how poorly it's held up as far as, you know, the way that they visualized a lot of this stuff um, is is really bad. But um uh, Spottiswood was at so Roger Spottiswood directed Tomorrow Never Dies right before this. Yeah, right. And right. 
Which I think in the I mean, I think that movie's fine. I think it gets kind of a lot of shit because it followed Goldeneye, and it's clearly not as good as Goldeneye. But I do think it's well, a it's very, a very pedestrian Bond movie. Yeah, I think that's it, what people don't like about it. It's very. It features one of the best Bond girls, Michelle Yao, right? Yeah, so fantastic. I mean, there are things about it, but. I think it's just very pedestrian. I, I do think, think you know, the action is pretty capably directed. Though. You know, I the bad guy's Rupert Murdoch, right? You know, it's yeah. very just kind of like that Jonathan uh, Price performance is, uh, is, is something. Is, yeah, it's tough. But, um, but basically, yeah. he got offered. The only reason I bring it up is he got offered World is Not Enough and turned it down and made this movie. That's, uh, and, that's very interesting. Yeah. And World is Not Enough uh, made by famous documentarian michael apted yeah. and i really like the world's not enough that's more of a personal love than an actual love you know <laughs> i just have christmas fun dr christmas jones i thought christmas only came once oh, a year oh, wow gross. i remember being i remember being i would have been 11 in the theater right 99 yeah, yeah. Like that, yeah and i remember that line happening and just being like what does that mean you know what i mean <laughs> just like having no, like yeah You're it like, does come once a year <laughs> Christmas comes once. What is she? I know. I know her name is Christmas, but what is the? What, is, what are we talking about? The next one and the final of the three. Oh, I'm sorry. Go I ahead. was going to say real quick. It's just that the six. Just to show you how much the world had kind of changed in that time. Is me who growing up, Arnold Schwarzenegger was my absolute favorite movie star, and I saw literally everything that he made. Um, saw End of Days and checked out. And so I saw the trailer for The Sixth Day. I knew it was trying to be kind of a second-rate Total Recall and just decided to skip it. And that was kind of like in the new Matrix world. Oh, so you didn't world. even see it. Didn't yeah. see it. And no, the Matrix thing is a great take and I think the right one for what for these three movies, right? Like, it changed everything. The Matrix came out. And you're right. It changed everything and it took Schwarzenegger. I mean, Schwarzenegger literally gets out of the game in only a couple of years and becomes a civic employee. I mean, you know, he runs for governor. Yeah. You, got, you got to remember too that like while while he's still running the table on the early 90s, right? That um quietly Hollywood searching for a new kind of action star, mm-hmm. right? Like you have Point Break, right? And then you have Speed. I mean, all and like literally Keanu Reeves killed Arnold right. Schwarzenegger. Like, do you know, like it's like Keanu yeah, Reeves. It's an, and it's interesting. Yeah. And so did Nicolas Cage. With right, Nicolas Cage. And face off. It was the idea Tom Cruise of the, with Mission Impossible. It's the everyman, yes, right? I mean, really, it, it starts with Die Hard. If most, we're being serious, yeah, the right? most it starts with Die Hard. Even, but star. even in Die Hard, right? Is Die Hard's like still of a time because Bruce Willis famously had to like beef up yeah. so that he could like look good. Like he still had to be able to like. Right, but I guess my point is that may be the case. But he was a bar like the joke, you know, this guy was a bartender on Broadway Row three years before that. Do you know what I mean? Like right. so it was still this thing of But he was actually credited as Beef Willis. Not many people know that. Oh, that's true. I forgot about that. His credit is Beef Willis in the movie. Yeah. yeah. And when he, he was w- a bartender, his and name he was Beef Eater Willis. And actually fun fact, even though it wasn't really apropos for the context of the movie in 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 country, which only came out a couple years later, he's also credited as Beef Willis. And a lot of people say that that, that credit, Beef Willis, resulted in him not getting the Oscar nomination, though it was a very good performance. This is gonna be cut. <laughs> no, really? we're keeping this shit in. I'm gonna cut part of my uh uh world is not enough joke for sure, but this is staying in. Um <laughs> So, yeah, The Sixth Day, it's very bad, though Connor has things that I think are uh, I, interesting to say about it. And the Matrix thing is, is – it's funny because Collateral Damage has a whole different uh, 
kind of dilemma, though I would say it does suffer from the same Matrix problem as this trilogy of films all seems to. Now, Collateral Damage Quickly, directed by Andrew Davis, the man who gave us the Above the Law, which introduced us to Steven Seagal, and then Under, under Siege. Sharon Stone, too, Under right? Siege, Sharon Stone before Basic Instinct. So Andrew Davis then makes The Fugitive in 1993, which is bigger than any expectation in terms of quality. Harrison Ford is obviously in his apex at that point, but gets nominated for Best Picture. Harrison Ford's great in it. It's an amazingly memorable movie. Has aged way better than I think anyone would have thought. Like, that movie is good. Yeah. Uh, you know, like you huge, go back and watch huge it. Huge summer hit, too. Huge summer hit, adult drama. Not really even. I mean, it's an action movie, kind of. It's, a, it's, a, it's an adaptation of the show from the 60s, The Fugitive. So even the property element of it. More of a drama thriller. I remember the, the thing that they used to sell it at the time was the train stunt, was him literally yeah, jumping the out of stunt. the way yeah. of the train. And that yeah. was like the moment. Yeah, that, that like, and the waterfall. And that, the, that's yeah. that and the waterfall. The oh, only damn, two man. really stunts. And there's stuff in, uh, in Collateral Damage that feel like him tr- like trying to make a movie like that as much as he can. Um, but it really, I, to your point, Dan, about, you know, the, this, the same thing kind of happens with him that happened with the sixth day and well, in, in relationship to the matrix. And just to quickly run up to collateral damage, Andrew Davis, there's not that many movies. He does a Andy Garcia, uh, Andy Garcia playing two characters, comedy that nobody sees steal big, steal little. He does a Keanu Reeves, Morgan Freeman, Rachel Vice action movie Chain Reaction. called chain reaction. 1996 that not a lot of people see. He does a perfect murder in 1998, which is a remake of dial M for murder with Michael Douglas, Gwyneth Paltrow and Viggo Mortensen that I actually think is very good. A lot of people don't like it. It's It's a very capable thriller that does. Okay. Makes 67 million domestic. And then four years go by and collateral damage comes out and it makes 40 78 worldwide and comes and goes. And to your point, let me correct myself. Corey basically mentioned that the box office receipts would get embarrassing quickly for Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I kind of said, Oh, in the late uh, closer to now, Corey's right. Six day and collateral damage both performed miserably. Right. So end of days is really the last even semi successful situation he does. And I don't even know, uh, other than the Expendables movies, is if he's ever really come back from that. Yeah. No, well, not, not really. after this period, there is one. Oh, the third, right, Terminator, yeah, Terminator, Terminator which, 3, which we'll get to. But um, Andrew Davis, they make the movie. It's set to come out in October of 2001. The movie is about a fireman whose wife and son are killed in a terrorist explosion in, I think, L.A., right? Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously September 11th happens in 2001. They push it because of, uh, like I said, obvious reasons to 2002 comes out February, 2002. They recut stuff. Sophia Vagar is in the movie, but then is cut out of the movie because there's a plane hijacking scene, which she's essential to no longer in the movie. I think they did some other things too. Like if you watch the movie, the actual terrorist act is like way cut down. It would appear, I think to kind of. You know, it's it's yeah in the in the in the movie. Uh, so uh, Cliff Curtis plays the terrorist in question. They're col- like col- yeah, it's the inciting incident because yeah, basically yeah. then Gordy, which oh, is God. Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah. he he goes to Colombia because yeah. that's where the terrorists are. Yeah, to 
kill the terrorists. That's what the, I mean. That's the movie. It's a weird and like so basically the Cliff Curtis like bl- puts a bomb in a cop motorcycle. He pretends to be a cop. He uh, and he blows up this. Uh, is it an M? It's not an embassy. It's like outside of some building. No, I think it might be an because uh, the idea is it might be an embassy because the idea is. Like these people from Colum- these politicians from Colombia are yeah. walking in, and Elias at the Co- moment the Elias Coteus, uh, he's like a CIA, plays spook. A CIA yeah. spook who is sort of shepherding this meeting, basically, um, and he survives the blast, and Arnold's uh, wife and child get killed, and uh, and you know Arnold basically very quickly starts blaming Coteus for like not doing enough and whatever, and takes it upon himself. Um, it's a little, I mean, I don't know. They, I will say, not unlike the sixth day, of this movie. To your point, Dan. I mean, all of that is the inciting incident. Like the movie's pretty efficient. Like that happens in like the eight minute mark. It's like you know, it's like not even ten minutes in, and all that happens because everything else there is just like table setting for Arnold and his family. There's a weird scene where they're he's bathing with his child, he's showering with his son, and I had a Corey. You have a child, yes. I don't think <laughs> I don't think Crew is like wait yes I do, yes, yes I do uh, no uh, what's the cutoff what's the cutoff for like bathing with your kid because I just there's a like I was like that kid feels too old like I feel like you know you you bathe with an infant sure. uh, you shower with an infant or whatever this kid is like a kid it's a little I was like yeah was the like, kid's like, like six feel, or whatever yeah I feel like I was like this kid is too old to be showering with his dad it's a little it's a little weird. Um, uh, my son, not yet two, so I don't think we're quite at the cutoff, but I would guess it would be somewhere around when his memories will will, will take hold through <laughs> adulthood. Little... You want to cut it off just You know what could that. happen if you did that? You That kid could have collateral damage. damage. I keep wanting to just say to collateral beauty. Just to play devil's beauty. advocate, but what well, if he wow. didn't come back? It just really, it's a bit. Back. It's become a bit. Wah, 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 um, wah. Yeah, so the interesting thing with this movie, other than obviously the unfortunate connection to 9-11, is that... You know, it's recut. It comes out at a very un-Arnold Schwarzenegger month, right? February. It's not a summer release or whatever. But at that point, you know, the last two movies, Sixth Day, End of Days, they come out in November. So he's kind of already out of the summer at this point, um, back when that still even kind of was a bigger deal. Collateral Damage comes out, um, like we said, underperforms. It, you know, it's cut weird. It, it's very apparent in, in some instances. There's a lot of ADR that, um, like, patches a lot of ADR. the movie together. John Turturro shows up in the middle in what's going to be an essential role, and then he's cut out, and I would only guess because it was scheduling with the reshoots. Like John Leguizamo comes in almost to, it seem, play the remainder of that same character. Well, it's the Rappaport uh, yeah, he's Kevin, like a Kevin handler in Colombia like is yeah. the idea. Like, because yeah. you know Schwarzenegger goes there and he doesn't know what he's doing, of course, because he's an American in Colombia. Andrew Davis in the famously on the set said, "Get me a John, any John," and that's how. And that's how yeah, you like had. Uzama and then they in. and and the casting department did too much and gave him two, and he had to choose, yeah. and he decided to film both. One interesting element of this movie is about halfway through, what you think the whole movie is going to be, which is just a barn burner revenge story. That's um, not so subtly racist, right? In as much as this thing happens, these damn South Americans, I'm going to go down there as an American and kill all of so, them. It stops in the middle and then becomes this momentary treaties on what is terrorism, right? And that idea of, you know, to the people in Colombia, these people are revolutionaries, right? Casualties of war. An, a semi-honest discussion about the parameters of the of the phraseology, 
of where you're from, you know, touchy, interesting, topical for a minute, right? And I will say, when that happened, when I was rewatching this movie, because, because you know, you forget about these things, right? I saw this movie years ago. You rewatch it, and you're like, okay, this is interesting for an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie to be kind of talking about this. It almost feels like maybe Arnold decided, let me look inward, almost like a last action hero in another way. What are the movies I'm making? How does it affect the culture? Like, who am I influencing? And then, and I, we don't really need to give it away, like, directly, but then it totally betrays that and yeah. becomes exactly what you always thought it was. And that really bothered me in a way that, uh, you know, made, you know, at least end of days, it's just the devil. You know what I mean? Like, at least right. there's just a simple, yeah, there's, like, yeah. But not uh, unlike not unlike the sixth day, I think, to your point, there is, like, for a second, a glimmer of, like, a much better movie inside that I right, think right, right. I th- I think you could argue like so what's a little weird is so this movie originally came from a script where the terrorists were uh, Libyans and uh, Marty. Yep. Yep. And Davis had it changed. This was obviously before even 9-11. Right. So Davis had it changed to Colombians sort of to be less racist. And it like doesn't work. It's like it doesn't work because it's like still just Arnold Schwarzenegger like getting revenge on well look the conceit of, of the whole premise is inherently very you know quote unquote in a problematic way patriotic right, right? it's it's very but they they also recut the movie uh post 9-11 to be that like right. there are things, yeah yeah there, I mean, it's possible the original version was more the let's look at this from you know oh, other oh. points of view but yeah. like just to set it, the stage it, it, it feels like that it feels like that because it feels like there's a movie that's a way more nuanced and then they basically, and you know, I don't know. I mean, I don't even know if you blame anybody for this because it's yeah, like, frankly, what, yeah, I mean, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Like, frankly, it's, you know, and this is, it's weird to say in 2019, uh, hard to judge. I mean, you know, that shit, that shit happened. I mean, like, yeah. it's a miracle, I'm not a miracle, but it's crazy the movie even came out. Right. You know, like, so I could, it's hard to even get back in the mindset of, a, like, I always say, some of all fears, which is I think a pretty underrated Jack Ryan movie, not an amazing movie, but a pretty interesting Philip Phil Alden Robinson, Ben Affleck plays Jack Ryan. Also two thousand two. Also two thousand and two. There is a nuclear explosion on American soil yeah, in that yeah. movie. Stadium? I remember, yeah, yeah Baltimore yeah. Stadium. It's actually I, it's a great, it's a great scene. But so I remember good. I remember being I saw it in theaters and I remember I was you know I would I was a kid and I remember being shook by it and yeah. and being like. And that movie even performed better than people think, actually. And I think all in all, if you go back and watch it, you'll enjoy it. I think it's actually a pretty fun early aughts uh, studio picture. But at the time, the fact that anybody went to go see it is is amazing. Same with uh, Collateral Damage. Yeah, I mean, just to set the stage, if uh, I'm not sure if you were too young for this at the time, but the country was not trying to hear that. Like, the, the, the right, psyche right. of people... Um, was very shaken and the lengths that that movies and pop culture and entertainment went to to kind of avoid playing on people's anxieties about this kind of stuff was considerable i mean particularly in the year after but even for a couple years i mean i remember i think munich was 2005 and just the the last shot of munich that With included the twin towers, the twin towers yeah, purposely, of course. was shocking and that was 4 years later yeah. so you know in well, two, even- early 2002 it was like um it's just hard to describe how shaken up 
the entire country was and the things you would take it for granted and your safety, it no longer felt that way. And it definitely stirred up a lot of that patriotic and a lot of that there needs to be payback and all these kind of things that. Well, and you had movies taking out the Tintero. I was like, we, we talked uh, we talked uh, for the Hugh Jackman pod. Kate and Leopold came out winter of 01. They scrubbed out the Twin Towers. It's set in modern, mostly in modern day New York. And um, Spider Man, two thousand two. Spider Man. There was the, the finale. Yeah. Was at was at the uh, or maybe not the finale, but a set piece, like you said, from was the at trailers, the Twin Towers yeah. from the trailers. Right. You can still you can YouTube that trailer, which is crazy. Um, because there's like a web between the yeah, Twin he, like, Towers. He like webs right? a helicopter after. Right. A, and it was yeah. and it was you know nothing sensitive. It was just literally the sight of like that set was, piece. was too much. Well, and for that's the why when you time. look back, twenty fifth hour. Which I would argue is Spike Lee's masterpiece, right? Agree, love, love that movie. Came and went with nary a word, right? You know, and part of it was because it leaned in to the. Well, fear. That, that's like what that movie's about. No, no, no right? You know but I mean? my it's point like, is, Spike Lee and God bless Spike Lee, who I think is a it's a fucking master in a lot of respects. He leaned into it as a New Yorker, of course, and you know you have Edward Norton, Barry Pepper, and all these people, Philip Seymour Hoffman, R.I.P. They're crushing this beautiful david benioff script based on his book written and written before 9-11 written before film, 9-11 filmed after and he just took that as an opportunity yeah, to and kind spike of lee, soak in the mood of right. new york and the country and what people were right and spike lee talked to benioff about that when it was getting prepped that he that was the way he was going to do it and benioff obviously acquiesced of course and um, it's a masterpiece, and nobody gave a shit. Like, I was following movies so big back then. I was really getting into it, Entertainment Weekly, da-da-da-da-da. And I remember being like, oh, nobody even cares about this movie. Like, I thought Edward Norton was going to get not. You know, I'm like, this yeah. movie's this movie's yeah. the best. But it was a sensitive time. It really was. And so, yeah, I mean, Collateral Damage, that's the thing. It's almost, in a way, it's like a lost movie. I, yeah. You know, it, I don't know that it would have ever been anything really to, to you know, to raise up to the heavens and say, hey, this is... But it is just kind of a sad semi-ending to the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, it, was, it mean, was almost the end. I mean, after this, it was only Terminator 3, which was the year after, which was kind of his, okay, it's been almost a decade of nothing working, and I've got to go back to the thing that made me, and I'm going to do it without James he's Cameron. He's like, I'm not even going to fake it anymore. I'm yeah. not going to do Six I'm, Day where I'm it's like basically this, Total Recall. I'm just going to straight I'm up. sell out and, yeah. and try and give the people what they want to ensure that I'm still a movie star. And, and it was a hit. Terminator 3 Rise was, of the Machines was a hit. It was awful I but disagree. it was a hit and then I, he basically yeah. went into politics and that was kind of the end of it I that think, was yeah. i think the big thing too with uh with collateral damage is like it <laughs> to your point about it being a lost movie is like the money's on screen in that movie it's not like it doesn't feel cheaply made it doesn't feel like it feels like everybody's trying to make like a movie and it really just gets like sideswiped by the most of unfortunate circumstances. But it, it was also just a relic from another era. In the early 2000s, they didn't know that it wasn't still the 90s in a way, you know. So that's kind of how I felt about watching bits of The Sixth Day recently. It's just going, oh, at the time, I wanted nothing to do with this. But now I'm almost kind of charmed by how antiquated it is and how it, it feels so kind of, you know, 30 years old instead of. 20 years old basically and 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 there's elements of that where you know there's terrible cg helicopters and things but there's also like oh they had to go out to the snowy mountains to shoot two minutes of film but they went out to the snowy mountains to shoot the two minutes whereas today you can't have a queen movie set at a coffee shop outside without them (laughs) filming it in an effing studio 
So well, it's you can't have like a superhero that. fight without it being in an Atlanta airport hangar. Exactly. Right. So yeah. it's like you know? those kinds of things that you miss when you realize how far we've come from from that era of studio movie making. I would venture to say a movie like The Sixth Day, if it gets made now, even with Schwarzenegger, right? Like somehow with the plot wise, um, I think it's probably way more appreciated. Because I think it probably gets made for way less. It probably gets released like a movie like Upgrade, right? Like something like that. And it, I think it, I, I feel like somebody probably finds a way to lean into the kind of charm that you're talking about. Like that, like, well, and we'll, and we'll yeah. run through it quick. He tries to make versions of that movie in the last few years. But quickly, Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, directed by Jonathan Mostow, another one of these workmanlike directors. Made some good movies, U571, Breakdown, right? Not a bad director, but, we're but capable, to Corey's point, yeah. not Verhoeven, not Cameron, not uh, Reitman. You know what I mean? Not these kind of masters he worked with early on. Um, I think me and Connor have the same like of this movie in as much as I really respect the boldness of the ending. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You hate it in every way. I, 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 I have a distinct memory of kind of the lead up to the movie and feeling like it wasn't, you know, it wasn't legitimate. James Cameron wasn't involved. Sure. You know, he was doing it anyway. And then I kind of had a reversal at the last minute. It was like the weekend it came out. I rewatched the first and second Terminator and I just had such a good time. I thought, you know what? It doesn't doesn't have to be that good, but it'll just be fun to see him doing this again. And I went and saw it and I hated it. And right. I just thought, nope, even with even with lowered expectations. And you have Claire Danes. Yeah. And you have Nick Stahl playing it John didn't Connor. Work. Yep. Yeah. And you have Christina Loken playing yeah, like the, Loken, the yeah. sorry, Christiana Loken playing the female, like the villainous the TX. The Robert Patrick. TX, yeah. the Robert Patrick. Yeah. And then he's the ultimate good guy. And then the but the end of the movie is is the end of the world, right? Well the end of the movie is exactly what everybody is is Skynet wins. Judgment Day happens. Yeah, and yeah. Judgment Day happens. And I I remember in the theater I remember loving it. Being I rem- like and- just uh Shell shocked by it. Yeah, and I rem- and just because you have this moment of like, whoa, yeah. The well, and st- also the because stones on this movie. Well, and also just because this, like, also because it's and correct me because I, I I did not rewatch this for this podcast. This is not one of the B sides, but it's the it's the it's our hero's decision to let it happen, right? Yeah, like Claire Danes and Nick Stahl are there at the end with the ability to prevent this from happening and choose so it is revealed like the twist ending of the movie is arnold's been programmed to save nick stall and claire Dane. like he was sent back programmed to protect john connor and Catherine brewster oh my god if you know this i'm gonna check it keep talking uh and you know you you're meant to assume that oh this is just a t2 plot again like he's protecting him so he can live on and save the world and that's like part of it but part of that programming is that he's just meant to get them basically to a safe bunker because in the future they have realized like there's no way to actually like we tried to stop it yeah we thought it worked you can't stop it so we just have to do this instead to like ensure that John Connor is safe and that John Connor lives. Yeah, Kate Brewster. Wow. Oh, wow. God damn. All right. They use his face for Terminator Salvation, which is um by by just every measure one of the worst blockbusters ever made. Ever yeah. ever put to sale. Like, truly one of the most boring. I mean, Christian Bale will never be worse. 
in a movie for will me, never be right. For me, it was more boring than bad. I have more like visceral hatred of T three. Can I tell you salvation? I just have almost no. Your T three story is my salvation story oh. because I remember I was so jacked for salvation because I had no problem with any of the. Th- I, I I liked the third one well enough. A little I, younger. I was probably your age that you were almost when you saw T three when salvation came out and i remember the thing that jacked me up about salvation and, and we probably almost we, we knew each other at this yeah, point yeah, yeah, oh nine yeah, yeah. i remember what jacked me up about the movie was it was the war yeah yeah like finally, well, you were gonna it, we were gonna thing. see the war the war they keep talking about in the first three movies we we're gonna finally see john connor as the hero in the war and then it's just this movie that's like Weirdly, Sam Worthington's kind of the best part of it, which is insane with a movie with Christian Bale and Bryce <laughs> Dallas Howard, right? Like, yeah. he's this, and, and like tonally, it's off, and it's like overly serious, and it, the John Connor parts don't make sense because he, he's like in this movie's defense, it still had the best teaser trailer scored oh, to, in, to nine inch nails. Yeah. To, to this day, yeah. I remember almost nothing about the movie, yeah. and I still remember the trailer. Amazing trailer, so amazing that I'm going to put it in right here. We've been fighting a long time. We are outnumbered by machines. Humans have a strength that cannot be measured. This is John Connor. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. One other thing that's interesting about 2003, same year that Terminator came out, is also his cameo in the rundown. It's like almost not even a cameo. It's like literally like, right, it's like a half a frame. Yeah, and it was kind of like a cute nod to the press at the time, which was basically that The Rock, uh, a wrestler then turned actor who had been in a couple movies, Mummy Returns, Scorpion King, you know, etc., um, was kind of going to be the next Schwarzenegger, and that was that was the line on him at the time. Yeah, and it's the first scene in the movie. The Rock walks into a bar fight to break it up because he's like the security for, a, I think it's like an NFL player, and when he's walking I towards- I think it's an XFL player. <laughs> Is it really? That would be so great. Six, <laughs> no, because XFL was only one year, so it would have been gone already. So he's walking into a bar fight, and- a pedestrian walks past him and it's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, and it was like a nice, friendly passing of the torch of Arnold kind of acknowledging like he's kind of leaving this role behind and then giving The Rock the okay to like take over and take these kinds of roles and things. And and, the- and it's it's interesting and not to – I don't want to pivot to The Rock, but when you look at their filmographies, he follows – I think now to more success, and he's a better actor than Schwarzenegger ever was for sure. But he, <laughs> wow! Let's, I knew Corey well, was not, no, but I knew you. Yeah, can, he, continue, and I'll continue. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but 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 it, if you comp- like the general trajectories are the same. You have like the Mummy to Conan. You have like do you know what I mean? You have like the game plan, and you have the comedies that crop up and whatever. Yeah, no, that's true. The and game plan. That's a great point. Like he does family stuff. Yeah, I, I I think he started on the family stuff a little early. The thing about The Rock that's interesting is that he I, I think I would say like his acting talent and charisma wise is about on par with Schwarzenegger, right? So you say they both have a lot of I charisma. Would agree with that. I would agree. They're with that. both a great on screen presence physically. They're like insane to look at, and they could be a great action star. And so you start breaking down. Well, 
what are the differences? And and it, if you look at The Rock's career, it's really that it took him a while to get started. It's like part of that is that he front loaded some of the family comedies a little earlier, whereas sure. Schwarzenegger held back on doing the jingle all the ways and the what have you until a little later. Um, so it really wasn't until he decided, like, you know what, I'll take like the fifth lead in whatever sequel. And that was kind of his way in. But but kind of standing back from both their careers about 20 years on, the main difference is that The Rock has almost never been in a great movie. And and the difference well, of that or, is... Or worked with a great director. And right. I think that's the That thing, is yeah. the difference, yeah. is that here's what Arnold has. Is it both about equal acting talents? Both have the capability to be great action stars. But Schwarzenegger had Cameron and Verhoeven and McTiernan and guys like that. And The Rock doesn't have that. And and part of that is we didn't get the next great generation of action directors. And part of it's just The Rock, I guess, isn't discriminating enough to turn down some of these journeymen. Uh, you know, he, so he's only making Erasers, you know, and he's not making yeah, that's, The Terminator. That's a great yeah, he's only making a race. And, it, and it's right? nothing like to Rampage, do with his talent. Yeah, skyscraper. It's, it's everything to do with opportunity yeah. and the choices he's making. Sure. And also he and also he suffers from something that I think is, is a product of its time more than anything, which is um uh what's the word? Oversaturation. Right? Like I don't think Arnold ever had that problem because you can make a movie a year. Yeah, it was always and your an event. brand would be strong. Yep. I think Dwayne Johnson has run into this problem now of feeling he needs to be omnipresent, right? And the only person right now who's been able to be omnipresent and really still sell through movies and have them be successful, and this is kind of funny to say in early 2019, is Kevin Hart, who's his companion in a couple of movies. But he's really the only guy where he can kind of like churn out movies and people, it'll make 75 million basically no no matter what. Whereas the rock, even, you know, uh, Dwayne Johnson, it's like skyscraper underperformed though. It crushed in China, which is another product of the time where it underperformed here, but it's still basically a hit. It also was sort of built for, no, well that's a hundred percent, right? Because it takes place. Yeah. The whole thing's set there. So yeah, I mean, it's a great um, passing of the torch that only that, that, as you said, took, a decade to really pass as opposed to, you know, uh, you know, walking tall and doom and his early movies were not huge successes. Um, and that's kind of it. He becomes governor, uh, very environmental, right. And he's still very much that that's kind of his platform. He's very pro kind of, you know, climate change being real, which unbelievably is still something people talk about. And, um, and, you know, he, you know, he has a lot of problems. He gets a scan. He gets divorced, you know, to Maria Shriver, who he's married to for a very long time. Things happen in his life, as with many, many big movie stars, uh, you know, and then... And he's essentially retired for a decade and then starts to kind of come back as right. a cameo in he the makes first a, Expendables. Yeah, he makes a one-scene cameo basically with with Bruce Willis and Sly Stallone. I, I think yeah. while he's still in office, right? Yeah, it was in kind a of church. A it's like a one-day shoot. Yeah. And um, then he's more... More prevalently, prev, he's more prevalently featured in obviously Expendables Dose, which I think after he was out of office. Yeah, he's no longer yeah, going. He's there. no longer in office, and then he makes three movies in a row that all underperform: The Last Stand in 2013, Escape Plan, his first movie where he fully co-stars with Sly Stallone, also in 2013, and Sabotage, directed by David Ayer and starring a bunch of other people. 
that is a Sam very Sam Worthington, very mean, mean, gross, mean, 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 mean movie about corrupt cops with like a twist ending. It's basically the Ten Little Indians. Uh, I don't like to be overly mean about movies on this pod, but um, do not go out of your way on sabotage. That is literally all I'll say. It's just one of those movies where. You know, Ayer has a lot of good things. Training Day, he's got a touch, no doubt about it. He's made, you know, he's made interesting choices in, in his career. Um, this is a Nader, and I know he made Suicide Squad, and he made uh, Bright. Sabotage is just a mean kind of nasty movie. Now, Escape Plan, I basically like. Not a lot of people saw it here. It was a hit internationally, which all, once again speaks to our current marketplace. It's a Prison Break movie. Not unsurprisingly, with the title, basically Sly Stallone plays a prison security expert who is kidnapped and put into a prison that evil Jim Caviezel says is un- is unbreakoutable. And he meets a professor in the prison who is Arnold Schwarzenegger, and they work together to make an escape plan. And uh, you'll have to watch it to and, see what happens. And it was but it's a, it's, I think it's a fun movie. It was intentionally kind of a throwback. And I mean, like, oh, I said, 100%. It, when I yeah. was 10 years well, old. Well, all these movies kind of feel that. Like, it feels like this run of, like, uh, I mean, know, Sabotage is different. It's like, it's, it's, it's like right, rated right. R and violent yeah. and gross. Last Stand and Escape Plan feel like Arnie being like, Give me let me see if they want some of that nostalgia. Yeah. Like, let me, you yeah. know, Last Stand is basically. What it what the title suggests? It's basically bad guy going to the border, small town sleepy sheriff has to make a last stand with a bunch of noobs, like a bunch of like rooks. You know, it's like so that's that movie. And yeah, Escape Plan kind works of a modern western. Yeah, Escape Plan works the best where it's basically it's a kind of a buddy comedy. You know, a little bit more kind of good versus evil. You know. You know, Sly shouldn't be there. The only reason that Arnold's there is for like political reasons. You know, like they're inherently good people, and um, yeah. And weirdly, just a quick aside, that movie Escape Plan has has like yielded multiple VOD sequels, starring Dave, Sly Stallone and Dave Bautista, the one and only Dave Bautista, yeah. the um, next rock, yeah, John okay. Cena. Yeah. If it had come out when I was ten years old, it would have been like. Literally yeah. seeing Batman and Superman on screen together. But, you know, fast forward 15 years, both these guys kind of passed their prime and not in the best stretch of their career. And it was kind of a non-event in this country, at least, totally, which is totally. sort of a bummer. and just kind shows of sad. you how much the industry had kind of moved on in mm-hmm. such a relatively brief period of time. Well, um, I think because part of it, too, right, is like first – the first, you know, if this is almost his second round of B-sides, right um, – First, he's undone by a different kind of action star, right? And now he's undone by the fact that like people don't even want movie stars anymore. Mm-hmm. Like there are like well, and they especially it, don't want action stars, right? But it's but it's like they're forget action. It's like they're just there are no movie stars. It's right. like, I mean, there are still, and we've talked about that at length on this podcast. No, but I mean, degree, like but, the action genre, like Dan Stevens can be the star of the guest by Adam Wingard. And it's a movie that's unbelievably entertaining. You know what I mean? Like the, the, the window of who can like crush in an action movie is wider 
because it's you know there's a more of a diversity you have movies yeah. like the raid you know what i mean yeah, movies yeah, that sure really kind of open up your eyes to what's possible physically you know like True. arnold was imposing that was what he was right. and charming he was never running and jumping and flipping and you know being taught how to you know like even tom cruise in the last samurai right like tom cruise in the last samurai right for example problematic movie though it'd be there's shit in that movie it's not even an action movie it's an action epic it's like he's flipping the sword around in crazy ways like yeah to Corey's point once again to connor's point it just passed him by and now he's old that's it and i mean i think on that note i mean you know because he's old he's i mean i there's that thing of like he clearly can't do the thing that made him famous right mm-hmm. so you can't even i feel like at this point you can't even ask for like oh i want him to go back and try some of that because and even like, in like terminator terminator genesis he's playing it old and that's the joke and it really doesn't doesn't really play you know like no. so he's doing it what he can but people just don't i feel like at least people here in in the states are just not responding. And yeah. I, I think that's the difference between like him and him and like Sly, for instance, where, uh, or even Kurt Russell, right? Like Kurt Russell sort of has found his niche in terms of like they can they can fall back on the charisma and the charm and the snark, and like you know Stallone basically falls back into Rocky, right? Right? They, like they have other you know, gears, that yeah, yeah, yeah didn't that they can right. have. they can shift into, and he. He doesn't really have it, and I'll say this: I mean, even rewatching like the the, the initial kind of these three B sides, you know, the performances aren't really good by any stretch. But even in like End of Days, I was kind of like, I mean, he's not not trying. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, so and so, there's just this: his range is um, limited. Uh, you know, yeah. I mean, End of, End of Days truly, other than his indie Maggie that came out a few years ago that no one really saw, but I, I did get good notices. He also made a movie called Aftermath. Even more recently, where he's dealing with uh, uh, his family dying in a tragic plane crash. So he's been trying to flex a bit, though it's been unseen. End of days on a wide level is probably his most dramatic performance. Yeah. And it's again, it's I mean, it's not very good, but it's yeah, he just I mean, I don't know. I, I just don't think he ever had that gear that he could shift into. So when you think about like, I don't know if I if I were to think about what I would want to see him do next um, it's tough because I don't, I don't know what there is. Because anything I would have said, he's already tried, and it. Didn't well, work. and what he's doing next is once again getting involved with Tim Miller's Terminator. Terminator. James Cameron approved, produced. Although he's more or less approved the last like two or three sure. terrible ones. At some point during the press tour, he's been like, "This one is the one you've been waiting for," and then it's sure, terrible. yeah, no, it's true. Yeah. And but yes, you know, definitely. Linda Hamilton is back in this one as. You know, obviously older Sarah Connor, original, they're, original They're essentially Sarah doing Connor. like the, they're doing the Halloween thing where they're like ignoring, uh, I believe, everything after T2. Which is wild. Because I, I feel like Genesis was already that we're going to fold time back on itself and kind of I think do that's the Back like, to the I, Future version. I think that's like actively you... the plot of that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's, um, yeah, I don't know. I I honestly don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what how much I, I need. See him to... How much more I need from Schwarzenegger? Here's yeah. what I need. All right. Tell me. So I I think about like how did it fall apart for this guy who meant so much to me and so many people um, as an action star? And you look at you know a couple factors. I think one is that 
guys like um, Verhoeven and McTiernan, their careers were kind of on the wane by the end of the 90s, early 2000s from choices that they'd made and the way their films were performing. And then James Cameron, his guy who was sculpted in both The Terminator and then True Lies as kind of this everyman, which was sort of its own joke. Um, was off doing Titanic and Avatar sequels. And so the guys that had kind of built him up had more or less left him behind. And so, you know, the thing that he really needs that I would love to see, and, and I've thought this since he's sort of unretired years ago, is he just needs a filmmaker who understands his limitations as an actor and knows what he does best and what he can and can't do and someone who can direct action. So that's why you think about... Um, Guys like Stallone, who kind of got a send off in a way with the, yeah, Creed, Coogler, the Creed franchise, right. and someone who got well, what he did best and did that, or even Kurt Russell, who's been resurrected by Tarantino and kind of co opted by Fast and the Furious and gotten like another chance to do what they do. He needs somebody who kind of grew up with these movies that understands how to do it. And like, so when I think about that, I think, God, I wish a. You know, um, Gareth Evans, who did The Raid, well, maybe or, or an Atomic I mean... Blonde, or, or a John Wick, or someone that understands the persona and knows how to craft what I, you know, think of as, what's Arnold Schwarzenegger's Unforgiven? You know, Clint Eastwood had that as right. the button on, yeah. here's my career of Westerns. You need just a right. younger guy who still knows how to shoot traditional action to come in and craft a vehicle that takes advantage of what Schwarzenegger can do. I think and quickly, that is the tragedy to some degree that's bigger than the other later B-sides of The Last Stand is that it's directed by the director of The Good, The Bad, and The Weird, and the fact that that didn't hit is a shame because that's exactly what you're talking about. Like, that could have been that. Now, Tim Miller, he gave us the first Deadpool. There's obviously a world where that action-minded director could get something out of Schwarzenegger that we haven't seen. Unfortunately, it's wrapped. It's a Terminator yeah, movie. it's wrapped in this. Baggage, it's wrapped yeah. in this IP. So it's. I would imagine it's possible. It's I mean, possible, but yeah, Creed, yeah. Creed did it against all odds, but Arnie's uh, Unforgiven is is yeah. I would love. And I would imagine the because the only other out if you're not doing that is you just. I mean, it's still some version of that, right? Like it's got to be some meta thing about an old fucking action yeah. star, right? Like. And I feel yeah, like maybe his JCVD or something. Right. Like that. That's exactly what I was thinking. Or like, Lethal Weapon. And he's the Danny Glover. He's the he's too know, old. For yeah. This show. And you need I think that's what you need. I think he needs some kind of like I would even love to see him not even in an action movie, but I would love to see him just like since his range is limited, you keep him dry and he's old. So he's grumpy. I feel like you need I would love to see him in like a straight comedy like not a broad comedy but like like an about schmidt like i would love to see him directed in this kind of like thing that irreverent le- yeah irreverent thing that like leans into him just i don't know being fucking old like well he did that what was the Taron killam movie where he's kind of self oh yeah killing gunther right, right, right. sure he's right. in like comedy. a few scenes i mean yeah. it was basically a glorified cameo, cameo right. but yeah there's an idea there of that um, that movie doesn't fully work, but yeah, that's a good reference. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, Taron Kilm, Taron Kilm directed that, and uh, yeah, you have a few people in that. I uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, look, it's the director. It really more than what, uh, more than anybody yes. we've talked about. Um, it's what it comes down to. It's the director. He you know if he can get in front of a camera where you have somebody like you know I don't know you know I ref- I feel like I talk about Sofia Coppola a lot because I love her, but like. You know, it's a weird thing, but, you know, 
Like someone like her, someone like Mario Heller, someone like right. I was Patty thinking Jenkins, like a, I was thinking like an Alexander that, Payne, like you know, I was Payne, like a, yeah. you know, like think about you know, Bombac, Ava DuVernay. <laughs> I don't know, like just all these yeah. weird. Like who are these? Would they even take him on? Probably not, you know. But if it could work, if there could be some sort of, you know, um, alignment, that would be nice. I mean, that would really be nice. Until then, we'll wait and watch. We probably won't watch the new Terminator. I guess I Genesis is tough. Oh, I don't know. So bad. I maybe, don't know. Maybe the worst. Maybe worse than three. Genesis is tough. And when I saw it, I I was like, okay, I see what they're doing. But in truth, it's the worst Terminator movie. With time sure, passing so. by, really is 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 a chunky one. That's tough. It's not good. Um. So we'll hope and we'll wait. But in the meantime, we'll always have the '80s and the first half of the '90s for the B side. This is Dan Mecca. And Connor O'Donnell. And let me just say before we end, and I let Corey Everett leave, we, me and Connor, have gotten to play Cinephile, the card game. We've got a chance to play it all the games. I think, Corey, you can tell us when it's coming out and by who. And it's great. It's great. It's fun. We've become, we've become, we've exhausted ourselves in hours and hours of different games, movie actor, filmography, different things that are you'll see in the game in the pack there's expansion packs you're you're doing you you were nice enough to make an abracadabra card which is a very inside joke to sundance a couple years ago and mike ryan who writes for uprocks and this fake kirsten uh fake chris fake kristen Wieg movie that we made up at a party once upon a time um so there's a lot going on i'll let you jump in as we kind of wrap up yeah i i I think I mentioned this the last time uh, I was on the podcast, but um, last year uh, came up with an idea for basically the ultimate card game for movie nerds, kind of the thing that I played a lot of different games and didn't feel like existed. Uh, so we did a Kickstarter campaign. We got funded, uh, and I basically spent more or less the last year or so working on the game. Um, at some point, we got picked up uh, and partnered with uh, Clarkson Potter, which is a division of Penguin Random House. And the game will be coming out uh, August 27th, so it should hopefully be in stores. Um, and you can pre-order it now on cinephilegame.com. And um, it's been super fun playing with you guys. And Corey, uh, where can we find you and the game on the on the internet in terms of social and all that? Uh, Cinephile Game on any of the social platforms. Right, Twitter, Facebook, whatever. And then, yeah, like, um, yeah, just to kind of follow that up. Me and Connor have our copies coming. We're excited for them. August, look for it. And I think the nice thing about the game, and we did talk about this briefly on the Winona Pod, is though it is engineered for, obviously, cinephiles, there's an element there with with the art of the cards and the options where there is a general element where you could play it with, you know, not just like another film nerd, right? It's once again, it's engineered for that. All you but, have to do is kind of like movies. <laughs> yeah, if you haven't, you know, hey, I'm a big fan of these types of movies or those types of movies. It'll work for that. So I think I'm more, I'm even more excited now that we we've gotten a chance to play it a few times. So, you know, um, do you have an Arnold Schwarzenegger card actually? Oh yeah. Do you what is the what what's, the movie is? The movie? I th- it's got to be. True I feel like I've lies, seen. Well, right? we've seen the deck. I don't know. It, I can't remember. No, though. is it? Um, is it? It's twins? not True Lies. No, it's Junior. 
No. What is, is it? Junior? Tell us what it is. Uh, it's the Running Man. Oh, it's the, oh, it's the Running Man. Yeah. I knew it as soon as I Damn. asked. I knew it. Um, it. Kelly Fitzpatrick would be so mad at me. Can you guess the Winona card just to go back? Well, to I know the one. Well, Reality Bites. Well, there you go. Wow. Well, had to be. Had to be. Had to be I won't. Spo- I won't spoil it, but y'all are gonna love the Leonardo DiCaprio card. And you also do. You have merch and stuff, which can also be found on the site. And I was lucky enough to get from lovely Corey a. Wesley Snipes branded cinephile shirt, uh, which is from the movie, the artwork from the uh, from the movie Passenger Fifty Seven, which I love. Right? Am I wrong on that? No. Yeah. No, you're right. And I love it. And you got what was you got the Carol I did shirt? Ca- Carol, yeah, Kate which, Blanchett from of course, Carol, which of course, I love. which you know, Queen Kate. So cinephile, look for it. We love it. Uh, we also love Arnie, eighties, nineties Arnie specifically. Eraser is the best movie ever made. Just and, and wish him the best, and, st- and still hope there's one great director I, who can yeah, kind of come want, along and, and give him his swan song. That he I deserves. want his swan song. Yeah, that's a good way to end. I want the swan song. I do. Yeah, we want you for the U.S. Arnie. No, he's always doing it. No, I love it. Done. All right, Cut goodbye. It,